on this prequel episode, we're learning about the absurd and previewing Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hello and welcome back to this film is like the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books, and in this case, books that are based on radio shows, TV shows that are based on radio shows. Yep. Um, which we'll talk about when we get into our fun facts a little bit later for the preview. But first, I have a learning thing segment, so let's do that. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. So I was trying to figure out what to talk about for the learning thing segment. Uh, and what I landed on is the absurd. The absurd. Yes. Which, before we get started with it, it's uh, this is like a rough draft, a, a very early <laughs> rough draft of what, like, a, the beginning of an essay. Like, in the sense of, like, <laughs> I, I, I did this pretty quickly. Don't take anything here as sort of, like... My final, ver- I, I know, I'm just clarifying for, because it's a little more, um, uh, what's the word, um, ac- not academic, but it's a little more like SAE than normal. Mm-hmm. In it's the informative. Sense of, uh, not just informative, but like, it reads into the, the text a little bit more mm-hmm. than like maybe normal, where we're kind of like talking about like, you know what I mean? It's discussing yeah. themes within this story and sort of relating them to a broader theme and I again, I did it pretty quickly, um, so it's not uh, the end all be all uh, uh, on this subject. Or and it, people may disagree with some sort of conclusions uh-huh. and that sort of thing. I just wanted to preface it with that. Also, elements of this I've taken and sort of used uh, parts of the CourseHero.com Hitchhiker's Guide, mm-hmm. kind of like the, it's like a Cliff Notes type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And I was just kind of going through there, pulling some elements from that um, at different points. So let's talk about. The absurd. Uh, one of the primary themes of the Hitchhiker's Guide, in my opinion, is absurdity, and mm-hmm. in the opinion of Corsero. Um, <laughs> but I agree, and that's that's why I keyed in, and I was like, uh, yes. In this case, the absurdity we're talking about are events that seemingly happened at random without cause or meaning. And I want to talk about how Adams, uh, Douglas Adams, the author, uses that absurdity to critique culture, politics, and pretty much everything while giving voice to sort of that creeping feeling of existential dread mm-hmm. that I think we've all dealt with from time to time, or at least most of us. Uh, and I want to first off differentiate uh, what I'm going to dis- or what we're discussing here a little bit from quote unquote absurdist fiction, which is kind of its own mm-hmm. genre category. I think Hitchhiker's Guide also fits into that genre, mm-hmm. um, but it's not typically classified in there or at least like if you go to wikipedia and look at examples of absurdist fiction it's it's not it's not listed amongst those i think a lot of it qualifies but i'll discuss where i think it doesn't as well so absurdist fiction just to kind of clarify what that is are works that focus on the experiences of characters and situations where they cannot find any inherent purpose in life and it's most often represented by ultimately meaningless actions and events that call into question the certainty of ex- existential concepts such as truth or value. Um, and that's like straight from the Wikipedia article on it. Classic examples of absurdist fiction uh, include some authors we've talked about, or at least one author we've talked about. Uh, Waiting for Godot, mm-hmm. which we have not talked about, but it's also it's a it's a book, but I think or play, but it's a movie as well. Um, Kafka's works, mm-hmm. including The Metamorphosis, is one of the main ones they listed. Philip K. Dick, who we have mm. discussed. The one they specifically mentioned is A Scanner Darkly, who, uh, which Aaron mentioned uh, that we should do at some point on the podcast. And then much of Kurt Vonnegut's work is also... And then there's a lot more examples, but those are some of the bigger names mm. that, uh, the, that that work that 
that their works kind of fit into the absurdist fiction category. Uh, and, and a lot of elements of this definitely sound like parts of Hitchhiker's Guide to some extent. At the core of the novel is the quest for the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything. The first novel and kind of right. it, it recurs throughout the course of some of the later books. Uh, in the book, the computer Deep Thought provides an answer to the question or to the life, the universe, and everything. And that answer is 42. Uh, this answer suggests that there is, in fact, a final and knowable truth. Whereas mm-hmm. absurdist fiction tends to lean away from that into a more nihilistic sort of nothing matters. Yeah, yeah. Of, of, of that there is no answer. Uh-huh. Um, it's just in 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 Hitchhiker's Guide. It turns out that the important question becomes what is the question? Because uh-huh. we now have the answer. It's forty two. But what is the question? But it at least provides a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel that there is in fact an answer. Let's get to work figuring out what the question is. And while there are elements in Hitchhiker's Guide that sort of propose an inherent lack of meaning and question concepts like truth, that's definitely uh, sort of an aspect of Douglas Adams' work here. Um, Adams, I think, ultimately tosses us a bone. We have an answer for the purpose of life. We just need to figure out the question. Mm -hmm. Adams' characters, I think, all in in Hitchhiker's Guide also provide uh, different perspectives on absurdity throughout the novels. Our main character, Arthur Dent, I think tends toward the absurdist fiction sort of character as described in those mm-hmm. works earlier. He finds life puzzling. He's uncomfortable. He suffers from this vague sense of dread that he doesn't really, cause he doesn't know where he's going or why uh-huh. he's kind of just drug around by the universe. Essentially. Um, he often feels he's not in control of his life. He expresses this at one point by saying all through my life, I've had this strange unaccountable feeling that something was going on in the world, something big, even sinister and nobody could tell me what it was. So that I think that particular quote sort of fits into that, what I described earlier in the in the absurdist fiction genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Arthur Dent's character is definitely gives us that perspective. Mm-hmm. And if we only had Arthur Dent's point of view, uh, I think we would maybe resign ourselves to that more nihilistic appreciation of the universe, kind of more in line with, like I said, the other absurdist authors. But we also have Ford Prefect. Uh, and Ford Prefect is a very different character than Arthur Dent is, and is also sort of our co-protagonist of at least the first novel. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a a quote from uh, Course Hero here. On the other hand, Ford sees life with all its unpredictability and danger as an adventure to be enjoyed. So Ford Prefect is kind of an anecdote, not anecdote, antidote, Mm-hmm. To the put upon Arthur Dent. He sees the chaos, but he finds joy in it. He 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 sees a meaning within the chaos and he doesn't sort of derive the same sort of uh, he doesn't find the same sort of dread in it that Arthur Dent does. And that's potentially to a fault and it gets them into trouble sometimes and mm-hmm. his his sort of enjoyment of the chaos and the danger. But uh, I think it's a kind of an, a counterpoint. I think ultimately those two characters, and there are lots of other ones, but those two characters kind of give us a good balance that allows us to both appreciate the absurdity of life without getting too carried away. Because our uh, <laughs> four prefect can get a little carried away. So balance. Yes. But so that all being said, the absurdity I want to focus on and what, what kind of the point of what I was at the beginning of what I was getting at it, it, when we watched the movie and to see if it translates from the book is less about the the sort of nihilistic absurdity of absurdist fiction and more on the use of absurdity as a critique, absurd situations as a mm-hmm. critique. Uh, for one of the ways he does it first, that I'll mention here, is, is uh, a critique of society as a whole. Arthur's home is demolished in the beginning of the book because he didn't uh, he didn't lodge a complaint 
with mm-hmm. the local uh, construction or the local uh, city board who had these plans. He wasn't able to lo- uh, that had plans saying that they were going to demolish his house, but he wasn't able to lodge a complaint because the plans were, quote, on display in the unlit cellar of a local planning office. And that's like, OK, so that right there, if it just ended there, it'd be like, well, maybe he should have found out about that somehow. But this is where the absurdity comes in. Mm-hmm. In the unlit cellar of the local planning office, at the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, in an unused lavatory, hung with a sign warning, beware of the leopard. <laughs> End quote. So that's that's where Douglas Adams takes a, a reasonable, um, already annoying part of society or something, which mm-hmm. is, you know, local zoning boards and that sort of thing, and then kind of the bureaucracy, uh, and then amplifies it, sort of turns it up to 11, makes it absurd, to get his point across. And and I think this critique of bureaucracy bureaucracy is kind of something that we can all identify if any of us have ever <laughs> been to the DMV or what have you. Um, another example, uh, Zaphod Beeblebrox is basically the embodiment of everything wrong with politics. Uh, he's farcically incompetent mm-hmm. and is valued for being so. Mm-hmm. If that sounds familiar or not. Um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, um, I could cite a million more examples. I, I, again, I don't want to go through the whole book. We'll do that more in the episode. Um, this is kind of where I want to hit the homework part of this. Uh, if you're watching the movie, look for the absurd in the film. How much of the, that is, is sort of included in the in the movie? Because in the book, it is thick. It is every page. Mm-hmm. It is constant. It is it is Douglas Adams's style. It's how he writes. Everything is absurd. Uh, turned to like I said, eleven. Um, but and also kind of try to keep track of what is the movie trying to do with the absurdities? Is it making a point? Is it absurd simply for the sake of humor? Because it's very rarely absurd simply for the sake of humor in uh, in the book. It, there are times where mm-hmm. it definitely is just for a laugh, but usually there is a point to it. Um, I'm going to pay attention to this over the course of the movie and see how uh, the movie uses absurdity in relation to how Adams uses it in the book. And to see if the movie truly captures the wonderfully absurd nature of Douglas Adams, uh, you can do the same. So there you go. That's kind of what I want to talk about. Absurdity. Well, I'm interested <laughs> to see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to book facts. Arthur, what if I told you I was from another planet? What the hell are those things? Attention, people of Earth. I regret to inform you that in order to make way for the new hyperspace express route, your planet has been scheduled for demolition. Have a nice day. That's you. That's me. this is a switch I, episode. I got him. I got him right here. Not a ton, but I got him. Because I, I, it was either limit it to not a ton or have a million. Yeah. So I limited it to not a ton. <laughs> um, so, uh, as I mentioned earlier... Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was originally a radio comedy broadcast on BBC Radio 4 in 1978. It was then a later adapted to other formats, including stage shows, novels, comic books, a 1981 TV series, a 1984 video game, and what we're doing, the 2005 feature film. The first radio series comes from a proposal that Douglas Adams came up with called The Ends of the Earth, which was six self-contained episodes all ending with the Earth being destroyed in a different way hmm. was the original idea, kind of where this came from. Douglas Adams originally or eventually decided that he wanted an alien on Earth to sort of provide context within these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't just people on Earth because, uh, you know, I imagine one of them was 
probably one of the original ideas, and I didn't find this anywhere, was the Vogons sh- showing up mm-hmm. and blowing up the planet to make way for an interstellar bypass. And so he figured maybe we should have an alien there to kind of provide some context for who these aliens are or what's, right. you know, that sort of thing. Um, and he's, so he he's realized he needed to come up with a, uh, a reason for this alien to be on Earth. And that's where he came up with Hitchhiker's Guide. Because hmm. uh, in the book and the movie, Ford Prefect, who is the alien that is on Earth, is there as a researcher for this Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, Adams claims that he came, uh, the title came from a 1971 incident, quote unquote incident, it's not really an incident, <laughs> in which he was hiking around or hitchhiking around Europe as a young man. And he had a copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe, which is a book, I guess, at the time. And he was lying drunk in a field near Innsbruck with a copy of the book. And he was looking up at the stars and he thought it would be a good idea for somebody to write a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well. <laughs> However, <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> he later claimed that he had forgotten this incident himself uh, and only knew of it because he'd told the story of it so many times. So it's potentially hypocritical, yeah. but also, who knows? There's, it he also doesn't have, sounds like something a drunk person yeah. would think. He doesn't have a better explanation for it, apparently, yeah. or he didn't have a... He's, <laughs> Douglas Adams is dead now, but uh, he didn't have a better explanation for it, so that's that's what he went with. Um, the first novel, uh, Hitchhiker, which is just titled Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, was published in 1979. Uh, and the plots of the television and radio series are more or less the same as the first two novels. But some events occur in different orders. The first book, Hitchhiker's, like I said, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is adapted from the first four radio episodes. Okay. So if you're interested in what kind of the... Because that's the thing. I was, It was one of the things I'll talk about here in a second of me trying to figure out which books... Because I have the ultimate Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was a... A collection published, I don't know, probably like 10 or 15 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, which is like six of the stories, which we'll talk. I'll talk yeah. a little bit about what and that these is. these are all like fairly short yeah, books. Relatively, like relatively. But when you put them all together, yeah. it's a pretty It's a pretty lengthy book, book yeah. <laughs> uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, after it was released, reached number one on the book charts in only its second week and sold over 250,000 copies within three months of its release. And to date, it has sold over 14 million copies which I don't have context for how many. It's pretty popular. Uh, the second book, Restaurant at the End of the Universe, was published a year later in 1980. It is adapted from the remaining radio episodes, which was 5 through 12, I believe. Um, and Adams, Douglas Adams himself, considers Restaurant at the End of the Universe to be his best novel of the five that he wrote, hmm. which is interesting. I have read... Um, well, I'll talk about it right now. So I'm planning to read the first two books. I'm planning to read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and a restaurant at the end of the universe. Um, the movie is primarily, from what I understand, an adaption, adaptation of the first book, just Hitchhiker's Guide mm-hmm. to the Galaxy. Uh, I'm planning to read the first two because I, from what I remember, there are a few elements. There are lots of elements I think in the movie pulled from different books and yeah. stories, and even radio, pl- like different, you know, from the TV show and stuff. I'm not going to watch all the TV shows. I'm not going to read all the or all of the TV show. I'm not going to uh, listen to all the radio things. But I am going to read at least the first two books mm-hmm. so that I have. A, I just mainly wanted a little more of a refresher. I've read the first four books, uh, and I think I read most of five, if not all of it. But I didn't read six. So there's six books in the compendium I have, but the sixth one is not by Douglas Adams. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a different guy wrote uh, wrote it, but based on a story that's. Douglas Adams had written or something like oh. that. So it's, uh, it's like loosely. Hmm. Anyways, it's included in this in, in the in the Ultimate Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, I don't think I've read that one, but I have read at least the first four. Um, and I'm gonna reread now 
the first two, if not three. Um, again, just kind of for broader context and for more details yeah. that may or may not be pulled from later books and that sort of thing. But this main storyline is from the first book, which is relatively short. It's like 145 pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it's more of like a, a universe. It, it really is. His, the, It's kind of tough because it's not... None of the... The movie is an adaptation of the first book, but no, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but no, also not really. Um, it sounds fitting, though. Yeah, it is fitting. Uh, it is very fitting. And uh, yeah, it's... It'll it'll be good though. I mean, yeah. I, I have seen this movie, but uh, it's been a long time. I saw it when it came out. I, I think I saw the movie before I read the books, mm. and then I went and read the books like a couple years after that, after I'd forgotten about the movie. And now I'm doing both again after having forgotten all of it almost. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Let's go and talk about the movie though. All right. The fate of the universe. <laughs> is in their hands. Uh, sorry, what exactly are we doing? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Don't leave Earth without it. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie facts. I'm really excited to be doing movie stuff this time around. Yes. It's the end of the semester, so I'm in high stress mode. Tell me about it. (laughs) Um, This is a 2005 British-American science fiction comedy film Mm -hmm. directed by Garth Jennings. Yep. uh, Based upon previous works in the media (laughs) franchise of the same name. Yeah. Created by Douglas Adams. Yeah. Um, Early efforts to bring Hitchhiker's Guide to the silver screen, um, like we said, it's been adapted for TV, but um, some early efforts to turn it into a movie started in the 1970s, but Adams turned down those offers because he was afraid that producers wanted to turn the work into Star Wars with jokes. Which I could see. Yeah, it's not really anything. I mean, I could see being worried about yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's like, what I mean. I yeah. could see being worried about that. Um, I don't I don't know when Spaceballs came out, but we already have Spaceballs. Yeah. Um, uh, the movie was first optioned in 1982 by uh, Ivan Reitman, Joe Medjuk, and Michael C. Gross. Um, Adams wrote three drafts of the movie for them as per his contract. Um, And during that time, the producers were considering either Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd to play Ford Prefect. Yeah. Um, But then Aykroyd actually sent those three his idea for Ghostbusters, and they ended up doing that movie instead. There you go. I was about to say Ivan Reitman's Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And Bill Murray, uh, like I said... um, Robert Downey Jr., Johnny Depp, and Will Ferrell were all considered at different times for the part of Zaphod. Zaphod. It's either Zaphod or Zaphod, and Zaphod, I can't remember. Zaphod Beeblebrox. I think it's Zaphod Beeblebrox. Who were you said? Johnny Depp and who? Johnny Depp, Bill Murray, Robert Downey Jr., and Will Ferrell. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I can see all <laughs> those. Yeah. Um, Douglas Adams' head actually appears in the movie as a planet. During Tour of the Galaxy. So we'll have to be on the lookout for that. Um, Another thing to be on the lookout for, uh, there's a little old lady sitting 
on the side street at a table um, during it's it says it said it was a scene, a chaotic scene in London. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't have any frame been of a reference long time for that. And I don't remember what. I, my guess, if it's a chaotic scene in London, is it's very early in the movie. Yeah, because so there's a little we're not lady sitting at much. a table on the side street, and that is Douglas Adams' mother. Okay, yeah, and the chaotic scene makes sense. It's probably the, if you're watching this, is probably in the first ten minutes of the mm-hmm. movie. If I had to guess, yeah. because spoilers, that's we leave Earth very quickly after that. Okay, so I couldn't find any reasons for this, but I thought this was interesting. Apparently, the bathrobe that Arthur Dent wears was the most expensive of the costumes. For some reason, I don't know why, because I couldn't find out why, the fabric had to be sewn on stage and it was flown in from Turkey. I... I have no idea why. I like I googled it. It just looks like yeah, a normal looks like bathrobe. A bathrobe. Yeah, yeah. So if you know more about that, let us know because I'm very interested to understand why this bathrobe was so expensive. Yeah, I have no idea. Like a bathrobe made of gold. Um, speaking of gold, the Heart of Gold bridge mm-hmm. set piece had so many light bulbs that they could only run it for eight minutes at a time to prevent the set from catching on fire. Which sounds fun. Boy, remember that. This is the time before LEDs were like a big thing. Yeah. Because now you could just, it would all just be LEDs and you yeah. could run it forever and it would never overheat. But yeah. Huh. So there's a character in the movie named Marvin. Yeah. He's a robot. Okay. So is that the, the robot with the round head? Yeah. That I, okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Frame of reference. Um, uh, both actors who play Marvin, Alan Rickman as his yeah. voice, Warwick Davis as his body, yeah. um, are also... We can't get away from Harry yeah. Potter. Harry they both Potter played was. Hogwarts professors, yeah. um, Snape and Flitwick. Mm-hmm. Um, Deep Thought, the computer yep. program that you mentioned. It's a computer, but yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, explains the significance of the number 42 at 42 minutes into the film. Oh, well, there you go. Um, and my last fact here, um, this movie on Rotten Tomatoes has an average of 60%, and the site's consensus reads a frantic and occasional funny adaptation of Douglas Adams novel. However, it may have those unfamiliar with the source material scratching their heads. So I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So that's, <laughs> that's what I recall from the, I, I really remember very little about this movie. I think I saw it when it came out, maybe in theaters in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't seen it since then. And like I said, I remember hearing great things about the book after that and read I read the book sometime in college I think mm-hmm. and this movie came out when I was a sophomore in high school I th- or something like that um so I uh it was it was like five or six years later that I read the books and I remembered nothing about the movie then and I remember nothing at all about it now I remember not loving the movie mm-hmm. but I think I was mostly just confused a little bit <laughs> not like com- like wildly confused like yeah. I remember laughing and enjoying parts of it but just like not quite getting it I'm very excited having read the books and rereading it again now um to watch the film and see mm-hmm. what I think Well I'm very excited to be confused Yeah 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 it'll be interesting uh like I said it I think I've heard that I've heard people say that they actually think it's a pretty good adaptation uh-huh. all things considered and now it is and i you, i don't know if you had this in there or if we mentioned it that um douglas adams did write a lot of the movie yeah before he died he had been working on the movie 
and then they took it and finished kind of adapting it mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But it is a lot of his vision, supposedly, or from what or from what it sounds like. Um, which, yeah, yeah, was interesting. I, he died right before it came out, like three or four years yeah. before he got, I think he died. He died. Yeah, not I think. I know he died on May 11th of 2001. Um, so, yeah, like four years before yeah. it came out. But he, he did write a lot of it. So I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I haven't looked. Yeah, we haven't looked for it yet. Yeah. But uh, to sum up, this is the quote I was trying to I forgot to write down. But uh, uh, apparently the, the so this movie is uh, is almost but not quite entirely unlike the book. <laughs> so if you're a fan of the book, you may recognize that quote that is from, uh, the I believe, the first one. Uh, Arthur is having a terrible day and he goes and finds a neutromatic machine, which is like a food replicator from Star Trek. And the neutromatic machine provides him with a plastic cup filled with a liquid that was almost, but not quite, entirely unlike tea. <laughs> so that's how I read somebody on the internet describing the movie adaptation of the book, which, again, kind of all of his, all of the different versions yeah. of these stories are like that. They're all slightly different and it mixed around. Like he and- edited with every different yeah. version that it- he did, which we've said before is something that a good adaptation should do. Yeah. So we'll see if that holds up. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It's very much a sort of a it, while he was alive, it, these these stories were kind of very much a like living document mm-hmm. that was just like he was constantly kind of every time he rewrote it, he kind of did what he wanted with it. it or you know, for yeah. certain mediums, or certain Never things really worked let better. The clay dry. Yeah. Just kind of kept moving around with it. So cool. That's cool. Yep. All right. So Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy next Tuesday. Until that time, guys, gals, I'm Biner. And everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and and keep keep being being awesome. awesome.